If you have a copy of God's Word, turn to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. This has been a wonderful study for me. I've enjoyed going through this and uh, I've studied uh, this week. And it's been a blessing going through it. It's so much here. And I'm just kind of scratching the surface. And I'll be the first one to admit there's more in here than I understand myself. It's a very, uh, John says things straight to the point. He doesn't beat around the bush. We're going to begin reading with verse 1 and read down to verse 4. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begot, loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is a victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. May we pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, as we bow in thy presence, Lord, we need thy assistance. We need the Holy Spirit to take the things of God and open them up to our minds that we might rejoice. And may have that, as that psalm says, our hope is in the word of God, which is God promises to us. Lord, bless us now as we look into thy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we, as we looked at verse 1 last week, the last time I spoke, Whosoever believeth, in verse 1, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, has been born of God. And I brought out concerning the this verse that the word uh, believeth in the present tense is born of God or has been born of God. It's in the perfect tense, which refers to an action which has been completed in past time. In other words, you were born again, past time, before you present believed. One takes place before the other. A baby, when you spake the baby, when it's born, it cries. But it don't cry to get life, it cries because it has life. Same thing with you and I. We believe because we have life, not to get life which refers to an action which has been completed in past time, this completed action having a present result, shows that a believer was born again before he believes. This is important truth, because so many today, they base, they base your new birth on repentance, believing, and then you're born again. But the truth is, you're born again, that's the reason you do repent, that's the reason you do believe. God is initiation of salvation, not man's will. Number one, I want to, I brought out a point that the power of God is perfect in itself and therefore can need no assistance. God doesn't need any assistance giving us the new birth. He doesn't need our help. Cause the sinner is without strength and therefore cannot render any. We're dead in trespasses and sins. He is dead and therefore is as passive in his regeneration as he will be in the resurrection. Our bodies are laying in the grave when we're dead. What can that body do to raise itself up? Nothing. It's dead. And we are dead spiritually in this world. We're born into this world dead. So only the power of God can resurrect us spiritually. 
This is kind of the substance of what I brought out. Uh, uh, is a lot more than that. If you, you can always go on Sermons Audio and listen to the sermons. But I want to just give you a little review of that. That's an important distinction. Birth before life. Birth before being, believing. And verse 2 says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. This is a very important verse. Very important. The word know there and the word love and love the children of God and the love God and the word keep is in the present tense and it came, it's the continuous action. It's continually going on. So by this we know it's the word genusco to know by experience. We know by experience and we keep on knowing by experience that we love the children of God, that love is in the present tense, so we keep on loving the children of God in our daily life, and we love God in that we're in our experience, we're continually loving God. This is not a one-time thing that you do one time and it's all over. It's your pattern of your life should be obedience to God. David preached last week on commitment. It should be, our lives should be committed to be obeying God. When we love God and keep, notice that word keep, that's in the present tense. What does it mean? It means a person is continually present tense, keeping in his experience, continually keeping God's commandments. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God. It is as impossible to love the children of God as such without loving God as it is to love God without loving the children of God. If you're born again, you're going to love God. If you're born again, you're going to love the children of God. You can't separate it. You can't love one without the other. If you love God's children, you're going to love God. What a blessed blessed thought that is. In 1 John 4, 20 and 21, we saw before, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. You can't say, I love God, and hate your brother or sister. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him that he who loveth God love his brother also. We're to love one another. As I said before, that's the theme of John is showing our love to each other. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he loveth not his brother whom he has seen. How can he love God whom he had not seen? As I read before. Love for God is not an emotional experience so much as a moral commitment. It's a commitment. We think about loving an emotion. You know, uh, there's different loves in the, in the, in the word of God. You know, remember the sermon where Jesus asked Peter, Peter, lovest thou me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I'm fond of you. Peter asked him, Lord, Peter, do you love me with sacrificial love? Do you agape me? Do you love me? To win? Are you willing to die for me? Lord, I'm fond of you. Now here we have to be careful when we think about loving the children of God. We can love God's people with emotional love, fondness. I can love someone with fondness, love them because of their character. They're nice to me, I'm nice to them, without really loving them spiritually. Now that we have to make a distinction between that. It's not an emotional experience. But I'm not saying there's not emotions in love. True love can be felt. 
Jesus said the same thing about the meaning of love for himself in John 14, 15, and 21. Jesus said, if you love me, what should you do? If you love me, keep my commandments. Love is evidenced by what? Keeping the commandments, and that keeping is in the continuous, present tense. You're keeping on, keeping on, keeping the commandments of God. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Now, by that standard, do you love the Lord this morning? Do I love the Lord? That's a, that's a very searching verse. If we're not keeping his commandments, we're not really showing love to the Lord. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and he will manifest myself to him. Jesus said in Matthew eleven thirty, My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. It is the will of an all-wise, all-loving Father who seeks our highest welfare. The commandments of God are good, they're perfect, and they're wise. And His commandments are for our good. We need to realize that because the devil's going to try to get you sidetracked. God's commandments are for our good. Romans 12, 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's what we want to know to do. And that takes commitment. Once you know that commitment to do those things in our lives. I haven't listened to Brother Dave's sermon yet. I hope I'm not preaching his sermon this morning. <laughs> But I'm glad he preached on that subject. John, he does so emphasize not the victorious person, but the victorious power. Where does this power come from? The new birth. That which is born of the Spirit of the Spirit we're going to see. Here John stresses the converse reality. Every instance of love and obedience to God is assurance that we love his children. Our love to God and our obedience to God proves that we love the children of God. That's where we get the love from. Love is shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And that love is manifested to the children of God in our lives. In short, love to God and love to the brethren confirm and prove each other. How can I say I love God and hate Brother Dave? It's impossible. It's a contradiction. So, beloved, in our lives, God is so, we're the same family of God. We're born of God, as it says up there in, in verse 1. Those who are begotten love those who are begotten of God. We love those who are God's children. If either is found alone, it's not genuine. True love for God is love to God's people. And beloved, this is one of the messages John was getting across in 1 John, that if we love God, we love one another. Now this is a quote from John Gill's commentary. I thought it was good, so I wanted to read it and bring it to your attention on this verse. John Gill says, Whereas the apostle's view is to show when love to the saints is right, And that is when we love God and keep his commandments. Love to the brethren may arise from church cause as may show that it is not brotherly love or a spiritual kind. It may arise from natural relation or civil friendship or from a benefit or favor received from them and from some natural eternal accuracy seen in them. And a man may do acts of love and kindness to the brethren from what may be called good nature in himself or with a censor view, but true love to the brethren springs 
from love to God. Remember that. True love springs from love to God, and that love shines through us to our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Such such who love the saints aright, by which they may know they do so, they love them because they themselves love God. And in obedience to His command, they love them because they belong to God and are objects of His love, because His grace is wrought in them and is even stamped upon them. I see Christ in David. That's why I love Brother David. I see Christ in him. We see Christ in each other. And I thought that was a good statement. And the warning there is, you know, we can we can think we love the brethren, but do we love them spiritually? Is it true love or is it just fondness of each other? When we love God and show this by obeying Him, you can't say I love God and disobey Him. I don't care if it's Brother Roach, Brother Dave, Brother Roger, no matter who it is. If we say we love God and we're not obeying God, we're not really loving God. Jesus, remember, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So one of the tests of our lives is, do we truly love God? Dave quoted that verse, for all things work together for good to them that love God. Do you love God? You say, yes. Are you obeying God? You say, no. Then that's a contradiction. Love must be seen by obedience to God, obeying God. We then know that our love for God's children is a real love. There's so many counterfeits in the world. Anyone can say, I love God. I love the children of God. But do they truly love God? Do they truly love? The only way we can know that we love each other, do we love God and keep his commandments? That's the standard. I didn't write that standard. John, by inspiration, wrote that standard. He says in in 1 John 2, 3, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now notice that. Hereby we do know by experience that we know him by experience if we keep his commandments. Look at the emphasis. Keeping his commandments. In verse 22, chapter 3, And whatever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Are we keeping his commandments? And are we doing those things that are pleasing in his sight? And again, I come back to Brother Dave's sermon. Commitment is what pleases the Lord. He wants us to be committed to his call. Jesus says you're either with me or you're against me. He wants us to be committed to the cause. And listen, of all that he's done for us, Paul said it's your reasonable service that you present yourselves a living sacrifice unto God. Present your body as a living sacrifice. It's reasonable, beloved, that we be committed to the Lord. In verse 23, he says, And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave his commandment. Not only are we to believe on Jesus Christ as the Son of God, but we're to love one another. It goes together. If you say you believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, you also will love the brothers and sisters in the Lord. How What a blessing that is. In verse 24, he says, And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that we abide, that he abides in us by his spirit, which he hath given us. And how do we know that? Because the spirit is the one that leads us to obey the commandments of God. What a blessing it is. What a blessing. Now we look at verse 3 of 1 John 5. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Sometimes you wonder, how can that be possible, that his commandments are not grievous? 
The two actions of love and obedience are simultaneous. simultaneous. Our love for God expresses itself in our obedience to His commands. I cannot say I love God and disobey God at the same time. Love means commitment. Not a feeling. I'm committed to the Lord. And so by committing to the Lord, I'm obeying the Lord. I keep His commandments. This love is agape. That divine love produced in the heart of the yielded saint by the Holy Spirit. Which love impels us to obey Him. This love, Paul said, the love of God constrains us. One of the greatest blessings in our life is God's love within us constrains us to obey Him. It's more to obedience than just our will. God's working on our will through His love within us, through the inner man. He, he's strength constraining us to obey Him and to love Him through love. The word grievous means heavy, to burden. The word speaks of that which is burdensome, severe, severe, stern, violent, cruel. Love for God makes the keeping of His commandments a delight rather than a burden. Now listen to that now. Love for God makes the keeping of His commandments a delight rather than a burden. Now one of the commands of the Lord is to be baptized. Was that a grievous to you to be baptized? No, it was a joy. I can remember seeing these sisters here and brothers baptized over at the YMCA. What a joy that was. As we look back to that, those times, what a joy. That was, it's a command, but it was a joyful command. You didn't, you enjoy obeying that command. It's because of the love of God in your heart. So we see that the love for God makes the keeping of His commandments a delight rather than a burden. If we truly love God, we not only love His children, but also find ourselves carrying out His commands. The believer finds that the new life in Christ implants in him a desire to do the will of God. In the new birth, he puts into us a will to do the will of God, the desire to do the will of God. And what a, ble- and what a blessing that is. And finds that love makes obedience to his commands rewarding, for he realizes that God has given his laws for his own protection, true well-being, He finds in them guidance concerning what the will of God is and that which is good and acceptable and perfect is reread in Romans chapter 12 verse 2. Beloved, God's commands are not grievous to us. They're for our good. Don't look at the commands like a slave does when he's commanded to do something. We are servants of God. We are his, we are friends with God. We are his sons and daughters. It means to accept them as a principle on which we base one's life and obey them. The word commandment refers particularly to the command to love one another. In John, he's basically, the commandments of God is always emphasizing love one another. Love to God, love to each other. If you love God, you will love one another. Jesus said, as I said before, if a man love me, he will keep my commandments. Now, I have to judge myself upon those words. You have to judge yourself upon those words. Why are God's commandments not burdensome? They are not burdensome because God enables us to do them and gives us the desire to do them. 
See, before we did the desires of the world. We followed the world, the prince and power of the air, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and pride of life. Now we've been filled with the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. All these things have been put in us. So we desire to do the will of God. Now our desires have changed. Now we still are affected by the old nature. Don't misunderstand me. We're tempted in the old nature. But we also have the Spirit, the new, the new man within us. Paul says in Philippians 2.13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. That's why the commandments are not grievous to us when God's working in us the will and to do of His good pleasure. So when you're doing obeying God and you're loving God by improving it by your obedience, you're only doing what God's working in you and giving you the ability to do. Praise the Lord. The Christian delights to do God's will, although they are not easy to obey, they are not burdensome because of the new birth. The reason we're born again is that we can obey His commands. He gives us the strength to do it and gives us faith to believe His word and strength to obey His commands. What a, God has not left nothing that we need unanswered, as we're going to see as we continue on. The Christian delights to do God's will, and that should be one of our delights, to do the will of God. Jesus prayed in the model of prayer, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That should be our prayer, that I might do the will of my Father. How do we do the will of the Father? By obeying His commands and precepts. Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, hallelujah, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, thank God for the blood, make you perfect or mature in every good work to do his will. God's maturing you to do what? To do his will. God is not raising you up and making you a strong Christian to be disobedient, but He's He's strengthening you and put His graces in you and the fruit of the Spirit that you can do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then in Romans Hebrews 8.10 it says, For this is the covenant that I will make with them with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. Now we just explained that verse in the previous verses. And Philippians 2.13 explains that. What does that mean? For it is God which worketh in you both the will and the do of his good pleasure. That's what that means. God says, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their heart. I will work in them the will to do and do my good pleasure. That's what God is saying in that verse there. Now we come down to 1 John 5 verse 4. Now I have some new thoughts on this and you bear with me as we go through this. 1 John 5 4 says, Whatsoever... For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now I was reading that and I asked myself the question, why is it translated whatsoever in 5.4 and in 5.1 it's translated whosoever? The same Greek word, but there's a difference. So I got to doing some research and I studied it out. 
And I found out that the word in 1 John 5, 4, in the Greek, it's neuter, which means it's neither male nor female. It's neuter. And then in 5, 1, it's masculine. So whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God, that's masculine. It's talking about a person. But over here in 1 John 5, 4, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, it's neuter because it's not talking to a person, it's talking about a principle. In the new birth, you're born of the Spirit. Born, the word, uh, uh, born is again perfect in tense. We're talking about something that happened in the past with a present resource, referring to a past completed act of regeneration with the present results that the that the regenerated individual has been made a partaker of the divine nature and is present tense believing. He's believing. So we see then that whatsoever is born, the, the, the reason it was translated whatsoever, because it's not talking about a person, it's talking about the Holy Spirit who gives a person life from above, the new nature, being born again. John 3, 6 says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It's talking about that which was born of the Spirit. It's neither male nor female. It's born of the Spirit of God. First, Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's what? He's a new creature. He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I believe this is talking about in this verse for four, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. It's talking about the new creation that God has created in us. That's what overcomes the world. We're not a victorious person, but the nature that's within us is a victorious nature. It's victorious and gives us victory over the world. Hallelujah. What a Savior we serve. We must be born again which means by experience to be in Christ so that we can say, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. Now, we're talking about experience now. We're in Christ by election, but we're also in Christ by experience. Now, I don't know about my election and my election and only by the Word of God that we've chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. But I know that by revelation. But when it comes to my experience, I know that by the new birth, it gives me the ability to believe and trust in Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans 16, 17, he says, And my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ Jesus before me. He's saying there's some of them that were in Christ before me. He's not talking about election. He's talking about an experience of the new birth, that they were born again before I was. Peter was born in, in Christ's experience before Paul was. That's what Paul is saying. That's why in one of the letters it says, make your calling and election sure. This by experience in our earthly life, we are dead in sin before the work of grace in our life by the Holy Spirit. We're dead in sin before that. Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship, workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. In Adam we do evil works. We are born of Adam. We're dead in trespasses and sin. We receive a nature that's wicked, depraved, fallen. And in Adam we, we, we sin. We were, we were the servants of sin. But in Christ Jesus we do good works. So we can only do good works in association with Christ. He said, without me, you can do nothing. So in our union with Jesus Christ, we can perform good works and glorify God. Oh, God gets all the glory. 
And that's a blessing. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. The word overcometh. It's a verb and it's in the present tense. It's constantly overcoming the world. It's a habit of life which the saint, with, with the saint to gain victory over the world. To go down in defeat is the exception, not the rule. Now I, I put a note here. Sometimes we get knocked down. Now that's, that's the exception. We all at times in our Christian life get knocked down. That means Satan knocks us down. We've been knocked down. We've been put down. What happens in a case like that? Doesn't mean you're not a child of God. But the way to get out of that situation, as I thought upon this, is by repentance and submission to God's will. If you ever get knocked down by the devil, if you live long enough, you will. The road back to victory is repentance. Remember in the book of Revelation, Jesus knocking at the door, it's the Christian's heart, repent, repent. That's the message to us when we get knocked down. Now, I've had to repent many times in my life, many times. Even this week, I have to repent. Sometimes we have to repent daily. And Satan is continually trying to knock us down, but, the, but he can keep us knocked out if we don't repent and do the will of God. We know what to do and submit to God's will. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. That's coming back to again, we gotta be committed to the glory of God in our life. I'm gonna do what's right, even if it's against what I want and what I will. Sometimes, beloved, I want to say this to you in love. God's, God's will is against our will. We want things which He forbids. And it's difficult at times to make the decision because we don't, we want our will done and not God's will done. That's when the battle is, is so real to us as individuals. I've been there. I know by experience. I have willed things that God I know wasn't the will of God, but I was determined to do it anyway. But I suffered the consequences. You can never have peace in your heart as long as you go against the word of God. I don't care who it is. Our faith conquers the world by clinging to the eternal realities. Our faith is embraced in the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. This is brought out in verse 5, as we'll see the next time, in the question, who is, who is he who is constantly conquering the world? But the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, a heart belief in the incarnation with all that that implies results in an individual who gains the victory over the world. Unless you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and His deity and believe He was born of a virgin, you're not born again and you cannot overcome the world. Confidence in the divine human person of Jesus is the one weapon against which neither the error nor the evil nor the forces of the world, the devil, can prevail. They cannot prevail over Jesus Christ. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Christian believers are God's children, born from above. God's children are loved by all who love God. Those who love God and also keep His commands. That's the key. We keep His commands. 
They keep His commands because they overcome the world. And they overcome the world because they are Christian believers born from above. It's the new birth that makes it all possible. Because you must, Jesus said, you must be born again. But beloved, as we are in conflict with evil, we are in conflict with false teachers. We're in conflict with the world. We're in conflict with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And sometimes we're in conflict with ourselves. Jesus said, if a man would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's easy to say that, but difficult at times to do that. The new birth gives the believer the potential of victory. But the realization of actual victory depends on our active exercise of faith. We're going to get into that as I show you what I mean. Some see it as a reference to Christ's once for all victory over Satan on the cross and the world in his work through his work on the cross. In John 12, 31 and 32, Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out and if I be lifted up, which are all men unto me, verse 30 of 14, he says, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. John 16, 33, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you have, might have peace. In the world you should have tribulation. But he said, Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The reason we are overcoming the world because he overcame the world, Brother David. His victory is our victory. We can do all things through Christ. His victory is our victory. In what way do they overcome the world? They overcome the world by resisting Satan. We need to be resisting Satan. Who rules the world, they, re they resist. His temptations to unbelief and disobedience. We need to resist him temptations because all he wants us to do is disobey God and, 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 and fall from our steadfastness. That's why Satan is continually tempting us. He wants us to fall from our steadfastness in the Lord, our commitment as day priest. He, he, he wants us not to be committed to the Lord, but committed to ourselves. Paul said, no longer I that liveth. Oh, beloved, if we could say that with Paul, I, it means God's in control. God's in the center of your life. He has your heart. He's the captain of your heart. He has your heart. When you, when you have your heart and your affections and your desires is above God's desires, beloved, that's when we get in trouble. That's when we get in trouble. Since the false teachers belong to the world, the rejection of their teaching is a specific example of overcoming the world. They were teaching that Christ was just a man. He was a phantom. He wasn't God. And by resisting that teaching, they were overcoming the world. They were overcoming those false teachers. And we today, by believing the Word of God and believing the doctrine of grace, we overcome the false teachers which are preaching this morning that Christ loves everybody, that everybody has the chance to be saved. Everybody has the power to will. All they have to do is just will to be saved and they'll be saved. They leave God out of it. God's done all that He can do. Now it's up to you. Oh, beloved, unless you're born again, you can do nothing. Do nothing. The present tense is also in this verse, overcome. And what does that mean or indicate? The present tense indicates that the conquerors is continuous and habitual. In other words, we are continually overcoming the devil in our Christian life if we're committed to the Lord in practice. 
and obeying the Lord. We are continually overcoming the devil. You may not realize it in your own life. The present tense indicates that overcoming is a general rule that is always true. It's always true. The present tense indicates that the fighting is still in progress. Beloved, we are in a warfare. Christians, you are in a warfare with the devil, with the world, and with the flesh which you carry within you, the fallen nature. We're in a warfare. That's why, as I said that verse, Paul says, don't give place to the devil. If you're not committed to the Lord, 100% you're giving place to the devil. I'll give you that as a, as a little foretaste of future things. But that's true. You've got to be 100% sold out to the Lord. Are you willing to deny anything and everything for the cause of Christ? He talks about discipleship in, in his Gospels. What is meant by faith? Faith is belief of the facts of the Christian doctrine. It is belief in the incarnation. It is belief that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Son of God. And that Jesus has been victorious. It's our faith believes those teachings. And by clinging to those teachings, by clinging to Christ, we are overcoming the world through our belief in the principles and the victory of Jesus. You can't doubt Jesus and have be victorious. Jesus is the one that gives us the victory in our lives. To believe that Jesus has been victorious is to have the power that enables us also to win the battle. For we know that our foe is already defeated and therefore powerless. Satan has been defeated at the cross. Jesus defeated Satan. He's a defeated foe. It doesn't mean he can't tempt you. It doesn't mean he don't tempt you. But he's been defeated according to the power. That power can no longer control us. That fallen nature. Now we can be tempted. Sometimes we fall into temptation. But beloved, that power, that total domain power has been broken for the Christian. Some look at it like this. The new birth gives us the potentials of victory. But actual overcoming depends on faith. You can know something, but if you're not by faith exercising that truth in your life, you're not getting victory over it. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Okay, I know that intellectually, but am I living that? Am I living that? Knowing it's not going to give me the victory. Knowing it's not going to have me do all things. In connection with Christ and the new birth and being one with Him in our life, we can do all things. But just knowing that, don't make it a reality. Our faith has to lay hold of Christ. It says, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. In Romans ten seventeen. that faith which was given us in the Holy Spirit and regeneration, the fruit of the Spirit, lays hold of Christ and we get the victory through Christ. I don't understand all the mechanics of it, but I believe it. <laughs> How he does it, I leave to the Lord. But he promised he'd be with us. I'll never leave thee. I'll never forsake thee. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Hallelujah. Amen. The new birth implants within us all the necessities for an overcoming life. But faith puts these things to work. It takes birth plus faith, which is given us in regeneration. It takes power plus personality. This means that both God and man must work together. God does not do it all for us, nor can we do it all for ourselves. In the words, God is working in us, as we're going to see. Some people are sitting back waiting for God to do everything. 
He's already told us what to do. We're to do it. We're to obey. Obey is our part. We're to obey the Lord. Peter says in 2 Peter 1.3, this is a beautiful chapter to study sometimes, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. God has given us all things that pertain to what? Life and godliness. There's nothing you need that God hasn't given you. You need faith, God's given it to you already. That's why Paul says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You can say, I can do all things through Christ which is infusion strength in me. If he, if Paul would have said, I can do all things and stop, we'd have said, boy, he's, he's a free willer. But he didn't stop there. He went on and says, through Christ which is infusing strength into me. And in closing, I'm going to read a few verses for our encouragement. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. See, not I, but Christ liveth in me. That's the secret of victorious Christian living. Christ living in you. And the life which I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. All that truth of his death, that truth that his love being demonstrated, he gave himself for me. Once you get a hold of that, it can transform your life. Paul says in Hebrews 12 too, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's finished it. It's finished. When he cried out on the cross, it's finished and gave up the ghost. Beloved, salvation was finished from the first to the last. Hallelujah. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul says in Ephesians 16, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Be strengthened in the Lord. The Lord is where your strength is at. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto Him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. You can't think of anything that you need that God can't do. Be like the publican. Lord, I believe, but have my unbelief. Lord, I believe, but have my unbelief. You can't think of anything that God's power can't do for you in your life. All that we ask or think according to the power that's working in us. There's a power that continually is working in us. That power can do exceedingly above all that we ask or think. You have a problem? Do I have a problem? I do have many. That problem is not bigger than God. Beloved, God is bigger than all our problems. That's the face... One man says, first of all, you got to see you have a need before you ask God. you got to see your need. And once you see your need, you need to ask God, God, deliver me from this problem. Only you can do it. There are some things, beloved, only God can deliver us from. And that's according to the power that's working in us. And I quoted this verse earlier. I want to close with this verse. I can do all things. Do you believe that? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. May we pray. Father, thank you for the message this morning. Bless it to our hearts and may we be committed to the Lord in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Someone have a song in closing.